Ladies and gentlemen, grab your drinks and popcorn. Terry's feature is about to begin. Welcome to Celluloid Codswallop. And welcome to this week's celluloid codswallop. And on this week's episode, I am joined by it's a, a double team we've got on this one. They are writers, producers, directors. Uh, I'm joined by Claire and Anthony Bueno, who have created a wonderful documentary film. But I'm taking up time by not letting them introduce themselves. So. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. He's Anthony. And she is Claire. Um, And we are the filmmaking duo, sibling duo, really. Yeah, yeah. I was um, the director, labelled as, and Claire produced the documentary Cleaning Up the Town, Remembering Ghostbusters. You you have the distinction of being the first siblings I've ever interviewed on this. So... What I always like to ask the question, where does your story begin? You are obviously related, but where does your story begin? Could you tell me how how the how everything started? Well, I I think from the very beginning it was it was our nan. Oh yeah, Lily, been, yeah, Lily yeah. Virginia Gowdy, and she used to tell her us all of her stories of when she was a child during the war, and. Um, and it was growing up and you know working on spitfires and we just used to love all of those stories her and her sister were both widows and we just sat on her bed as kids listening to all these great stories and I think from that really kind of started our love of wanting to hear other people's stories and then sort of cut to 20 plus years later we kind of serendipitously fell into working together really as far as sort of making documentaries are concerned Anthony had moved to London to to do um to film go to film school I'd moved to London to to be a presenter and uh, and journalist um and those were decisions we came to quite separately and through doing those we kind of came together and it was like why don't we make a documentary um about Anthony's favorite film really so it's yes can I just back you up a bit? Because you said something that was very interesting. You were saying, was it your grandmother Spitfires? Yeah. Yes. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah, she used to do the rock that manufactured the rock. Was that all of the Austin? Uh, no, the Austin was was the um, was the cars oh, that they worked on. She worked on the grills of the cars. But yeah, she used to. I've got a feeling she worked on the propellers. No, it was the rods. Was it the rods? Oh, the oh, anyway, she 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 worked She's in got a it. screwdriver that's made from one of the rods. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Either, either someone made it for something like that, and the screw was going to be downstairs in our, our little uh, tin box of tools. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was. I always remember her telling us that. Because we're we're from the Midlands originally, so she was in one of the factories. You know, you know, one of the you know the women working, you know, putting helping put Spitfires together. Really, yeah. I mean that. So it was quite an incredible, you know, story that they had to tell us. And funnily enough, they also. Um, their mum were she was a spiritualist and part of the spiritualist movement which as 
you know, from seeing the film and um, and um, is where Dan Aykroyd's background comes from. I mean, not that we're trying to compare ourselves to Dan Aykroyd, but, um, you know, there is a correlation there within the sort of spiritualist movement. And that kind of ignited this interest in the paranormal and the spooky stories yeah. that she used to tell because there were weird things that she would say about what would happen to them and and stuff so um so it was yeah, it was really that was really interesting wasn't it yeah that was you know and, and we've always loved that aspect of things so it really kind of laid that groundwork for what you know we became like you know everything we kind of put into the the documentary and stuff like that you know what you know ghostbusters was you know i saw it originally at the cinema back in 84 as declare yeah yeah so it was you know and it's just and it's always been with this been with with me since and and started getting into supernatural bits and bobs and things so um yeah it was just like years later when we started to do the filmmaking stuff it was mm-hmm. just like you know we've been involved in other things it's like well you know why don't we have a crack at this yeah and and that's where like the doc started mm. very sort of like naive where things hey, yeah 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 it'll be fine it'll be great <laughs> that's where it all started really the thing that i absolutely love when it comes to what you've done is i'm i was probably seen as the bit of the weirdo with some of my friends because when people would get dvds a lot of them would just go straight to the film i still consume the extras there is a story about how a film has been made because the one the first dvds i ever got was ghostbusters when it came out as the there's the anniversary dvd of it yeah 15th anniversary i think and the straight the thing i went straight to because i was just astounded it came up with this big opening screen with the um spook central stuff and all that and i was like i want to see all the, the behind the scenes making stuff the deleted scenes the stuff that wasn't in it uh, it always grabs my attention. So what you created was just absolute heaven for me to watch. <laughs> absolute heaven. Now, it was interesting when you talked about this, the spiritualism uh, aspect with regard to family members and stuff that Dan, Dan Aykroyd also touched on. Now, I'm banned on the podcast from telling my ghost story <gasps> because I have told it a lot and Gemma tells me off. <laughs> Are you allowed to tell it today? I'm allowed to tell you. I'll tell you to. But I want to know, firstly, if you ever had any spooky things happen to you. I I have. Um, for me, it was I'd gone to um, Amsterdam and my friend and I were in Anne Frank's house. And we walked into the room where um, Anne Frank and her family were hiding um, from the Nazis and as soon as I walked into the room, I had this, I just started to have this like panic attack. And I've never had panic attacks before. My heart was racing. I was really anxious. And I just, I had to get out of the room. And as soon as I walked out of the room, I just went back to normal. And um, so when I was talking to somebody, they they were saying that I had more than likely picked up the residual energy i suppose of the anxiety that the family would have felt while they were in in hiding but it was the most bizarre experience i'd ever had and i've never had it since and um so that is probably the closest thing i've got to a paranormal kind of experience yeah i uh i mean we, we live next to an old uh 
castle called Berry Pomeroy. It's like a few miles just up the road between like ourselves and, and Totnes. And it's seen as apparently one of the most haunted in the UK. And um, many times gone down there, many times not experienced a thing. It's weird. And you can go there and it can be there's times and you just don't get any kind of nothing. It's just it's just fine. It's just a castle. Other times you can go down, down there and it just feels off. So it's so there's kind of that that kind of goes on. But the only thing that I was happened in well, actually thinking about it many years back, I uh, I had a crack at doing meditation and all to enhance psychic abilities. <laughs> so it was a friend of ours that used to uh, sit in a circle and said, oh, you can come and do it. And it's like 20 minutes, like just kind of trying to meditate. And then you kind of sit and you talk about kind of your experiences. And the one, and, and most of the time, and, it's, and it was fascinating on many levels because when you start really kind of going back into your mind and, and trying to remember stuff, you can start pulling out details that you thought were long since forgotten. But what was interesting was that the one time we, like, there was four of us, and we all, all but one, imagined a flood, and and it was like the area was flooding. And I had it. Mine was just like water. It was in reverse. It was, I'm trying to remember it all now. So the water was cascading backwards over over the land. This one fellow had sort of like said, well, I, I would, we were here, but it was all underwater. This other person said, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was getting this. You know, we're here where we are now, but it was all essentially flooded. And uh, and the other one was also it was water, and it, but it was a waterfall kind of cascading down. So it was kind of, it was weird. And, and, you know, it's just one of those occasions like, well, if you can, if you're around the same people long enough, you're going to start getting on the same kind of wavelength mm. to a certain degree. So it was quite interesting. I mean, some will jump to a conclusion. Oh, well, that obviously means. And I'm a bit more kind of sceptical, sceptical yeah. in, like in the sense that I'm quite I, I will. Whereas years ago, I would just accepted everything on face value. Now I'm much more kind of like, well, you know, because there could be this, this is and this. But we are made up of energy as well as as matter. Mm-hmm. So all of that kind of like plays a part. So it was, yeah, it was an interesting kind of moment. And I'm glad I did all of that for a while. I can't think what happened about that. I just think just everyone kind of just like broke up and went their separate ways. But yeah, that was something that happened, which was which was curious. So, um, but never, yeah, and actually in this room, don't have the chair anymore. These, you know, this up just like behind us. This is, used to be my bed. Yeah. It's my office now. It's all in another room. So, and the one time I got up at night and the chair, which, which is on wheels, but we're not on earth. Thankfully, there's no subsidence where we are, <laughs> even though we're on hill. So, but the chair went from sort of like over there, and I got up in the night, and it was here. And I and and I know because I'd have to kind of climb down at my bed, and it was in my way. And it's like, what the hell is this doing here? Because it was it was over there, so that was something that's. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that story. Completely forgotten about it till now. (laughs) And what was your story, James? So uh, I will just say sorry, Gemma, in advance. Uh, Sorry, Gemma, but we have to know. What, what will also happen is Gemma is like the, the one who's the best editor on this. I'll do the first pass. She's the second one. But please, Gemma, don't don't delete this from the thing. <laughs> so uh, it's several years ago uh, when I was probably about 17. We were going. It was Christmas Day and we'd gone to my uncle's. My uncle and aunt's for Christmas Day. And it was me and my mum and dad. Where my uncle lives uh, is an old hall. It's a big old village hall and he was giving us a tour of the house and he took us to one of the rooms and he was showing us um, a picture that they'd found in the wall when they were taking all the plaster back to try and get it more to the original 
stonework and it was a pit and it, it amusingly put it in like a jewelry box with the cardboard on with get out written on and we said to him, well what's the story behind this and to give you a, a sense of my uncle he was trained as a chemist so he's very much a man of science so it's a logical explanation but he showed us in the box there was a picture it was only a small picture and you could tell it was old because it was printed on glass and it was a young woman all in black obviously a widower and what he said had happened is when they'd moved the picture they disturbed it weird stuff started happening so things started going wrong stuff was happening in the house you would have doors opening and closing the doors can't easily open and close because they're on latches so unless they, and they have no kids and he'd always say like unless the cats are stretching themselves there's no way <laughs> it could open he was telling us all about this and interestingly they have their their bedrooms at one end of the hall this is a, a, another room right at the far end so he's taken us around the house he's showing stuff and you get to one room at the furthest end of the house one of the bedrooms it's a lovely room it's all appointed but you get a weird you do get a weird feeling when you go in Anyway, he's telling us about stuff, telling us about bits of furniture he got, Jacobean furniture. Anyway, my aunt comes into the room and I can feel she stood next to me and she's neither of them are particularly tall, but I can see her out the corner of my eye uh, and I can feel her stood next to me and I can tell it's her because she's dressed in black. I turn, there's nobody there. <gasps> and I would have put money on the fact there was somebody there. Anyway, as the day goes on, gets to the end of the evening, and my dad says, right, we're going to go. Can you go and get all the coats? Now, the room all the coats are in is that room. <gasps> so I go upstairs and I remember standing at the end of the hall and I'm getting tense. And I thought, for God's sake, just get a grip on yourself. Get the coats. Anyway, I went into the room and I've never ever had this before or since. But when they talk about the hackles going up on the back of your neck, oh, yeah. I don't just mean it's cold. No, it's it the proper you know, caveman instinct. Yeah, yeah. And I literally just grabbed the coats and left. So it's many years on. And I was talking to my uncle when he came to, well, last year it was, to discuss some stuff. And I said, have interest, how are things going with the ghost? And he told me a very interesting story, which was this. They'd had friends staying over and the ghost had had been opening and closing the door to the living room. Anyway, later on, my uncle goes to the door after their their friends had left, and he he's there. He was playing with the door handle, going, "Come on, ghosty, come on, ghosty," you know, rattling it. Nothing happened. He went and sat down, and there's him and his wife in the room, and the door opened and closed itself. <gasps> no way! <laughs> but but there's even one more. He told me, so he was, I think he was making the bed, and his wife was in the hallway painting. And he, he's making the bed, and here's my aunt Christine go, Ian, stop it. And he's like, well, okay. So he carries on tidying up, and she goes, Ian, I've told you, stop messing about, stop it. So he comes out, and he goes, what are you on about? She goes, look, just stop messing about, stop it, I've told you. And he goes, I'm in the bedroom, you're in the hallway, what can I have done? And she said, you've been pulling on my shirt. <gasps> oh, and the my God. And the room she was near to in the hallway is the room where the... That room, I've got all goose pimply. Now, oh, I don't oh, see it as being a, a, a malicious ghost, but what it clearly doesn't like is change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good point. Blimey. 
I think it's very interesting. I think all of this is there's got to be something in yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, do you know, I remember a story on Nan, and and I remember seeing this. So she, Nan was in the garden where she always liked to be, and uh, I remember seeing her, and she kind of like she, she wasn't massively agile, but she she kept going, but she kind of like turned around like this. No, I was going. Oh, well, I was probably just watching telly or something. Probably watching Ghostbusters on the telly, to be honest. But anyway. <laughs> And she came in, she goes, it's the strangest thing. It's like, what was that? It's like, well, I just felt this hand on my shoulder and someone say, like, it's like, take it easy or don't work too hard. And, and I turned around and there was no one there. So I, and I saw her turn around. Oh, my God. Just, come on, yeah, it was like, take, it was like something like that. Take it easy or don't. Yeah, I was like, bloody. I said, well, there was nobody there because I, I, I'm sat here and I can see out in the garden. I mean, it's a bit more kind of more bushy now, our garden. But at that time, you could see all the way down it's like so oh, i, I never knew that. that yeah i remember her saying that and stuff and she and she was again tell us the stories of like yeah. our, our grandparents you know going to the medium going to the spiritualist medium church and yeah things that they'd be told and uh the uh the one house that they stopped in i think the one house they stopped in was haunted and they ended up yeah. leaving or doing a moonlight flit on the place one place was quite tall with a banister yeah and nan h and liz yeah, uh, no, um, her her um, Les. Oh, was it Les? Le- uh, um, There's the youngest. The youngest, the, the youngest brother. It was the three of them: the, Nan and a, a, the sister and, and Harriet. And um, who was the youngest? Le- I thought Liz was the youngest sister. No, no, Liz was the eldest sister. Ah. So they, so they always go down the banister, slide down, and. Um, uh, and, my, and there was a spiritualist church. The, the fellow sort of like one of the mediums there said, right, you've got three kids, blah, blah, blah. She goes, right, well, there's a there's a problem with that banister and it's going to break and they're going to fall and they're going to kill the youngest. So, you know, you've got to get him to pack that in. Len. Len was the youngest. Oh, Len, Len, okay. Len was the youngest boy, yeah. So it went. So the old girl, she was called, so we went back. She's like, right, you three. I know what you've been doing here, sliding down the banisters, and apparently they were all kind of looking at each other like, "Who's grassy each other up here?" Yeah. It's like, "Well, there's a problem, and you're going to fall, and you're going to ki- you're going to kill Len, whoever the yeah, yeah whoever the, the youngest, youngest one was." One, yeah. And they went to the top of the banister, and there's a huge crack going along the top of it, yeah, <laughs> which was ready to go, and so that, and they never slid down again, and that was it. But it was like, yeah. Wow. So, that, so those, those were the stories that we were brought up on. Well, you know, part of the like, the, the, one of the essence bits of the doc we were going to do which we which we'll probably probably put in the second one more was interview you know famous people that have, you know remember ghostbusters and all that kind of stuff and the one we did interview was kieran o'keefe dr kieran o'keefe from most haunted and mm. really lovely fella and, and parapsychologist yeah so and he and and a parapsychologist because of his love of ghostbusters so but, you know, he, he kind of, I mean, obviously he comes very much from sort of like science. Mm. But it is interesting when you like discuss with him some of the mechanics and some things that are clearly false. But some of those things that are, they walk that line between, well, this is slightly harder to kind of explain in any kind of rational way. So, you know, and he, he had different kind of stories about different things, which is really interesting. But, yeah, it's, you know. And I, and I think that's what, you know, with, with the doc, what's, mm-hmm. you know, what why people sometimes they ask us, why do you think Ghostbusters has kind of endeared and why it's lasted the test of the time? And, and for me, one of the kind of key factors is because it, it comes from a place of truth, you know. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd does believe in the paranormal. His family were seeped 
trapped in that spiritualist movement. And so when it comes from that as a foundation, you can build all this fantastical stuff around it and, and get scared with all the different things and, and add the fictional elements to it. But ultimately, he told a story because he believes in the paranormal. I mean, yeah. it's as simple as that. And I think it was important for us to set that the documentary up to tell that in the beginning so we could then sort of go on yeah, to, exactly. yeah, to yeah, yeah. you know, um, explain the rest of what happens, you know, in the making of Ghostbusters, I suppose. Yeah. And I'm always interested to know, obviously, you career-wise how about getting onto this path or what was it you wanted to do when you were young what was your dream job well, um, actually i always wanted to be a writer and a journalist i wanted to be a milkman oh you did as well i was i was very practical as a child <laughs> you wouldn't have had half the stress you've got now i was pretty right i'd be out of a job that's what i'd be because i don't have oh yeah that's but, true um I've been working at the recycling plant, recycling the milk, plastic milk bottles. But I remember being the doctor said, she was like, that or a postman. And they laughed. It's like, where everyone's like, I want to be an astronaut. And all this is like, that's, that's, that's <laughs> unlikely, to be quite honest. Um, so I went for a very, very practical approach. It wasn't until I was much more into adult and I was thinking, I'm going to be a ghostbuster. <laughs> that's it. I actually did think of that. I remember talking about that. I said, yeah, I want to do that. And, well, you know, you've got to go to university and you've got to study and you've got to do this. And it's, and Kieran really followed yeah, that path. He did. I mean, I'm an academic and stuff like yeah. that, so it wouldn't really work for me. But, you know, he really followed the path that was exactly what I thought about when I was young. It's like, yeah, well, if I went to uni and did, oh, Dr. Bueno, oh, yeah, <laughs> I would do that. Um, but it never, yeah, that never quite materialised. And it was... And, and I never entertained doing filmmaking. It just seemed completely, you know, unobtainable in, in every shape, way or form. You know, there's there's those that sort of like say that, you know, they, there wasn't the resources there, um, but they went off and they bought a camera and they did this and did that. And I never did those kind of things, not when I was really young or even like it was into my early 20s. I think I bought a camcorder because some friends discussed about, oh, yeah. Hey, you could do this like we used to love, love, love watching peter jackson and you see the kind of some of the early films it's like yeah we could do that well, yeah definitely yes have a go of course they were hopeless and i'm very much someone that needs to kind of like work with people and and i was like listening to interviews with filmmakers recently but some of them aren't they they was crap to get like peter jackson grab a camera and come up with an idea and go and film it and so it just yeah it was just one of those things that just went out and I, academically I was I was shocking so it wasn't until I went and did worked in computers yeah and then the, which just kind of happened more by chance and, and Claire worked there and yeah we were but we were both in computing you know as much as like yeah. I wanted to be a, a journalist as a child I didn't actually do it until you know I was well in my 30s I had another career in IT as, as we both did and I just fell out of love with that and yeah. and I wanted to just fo follow my passion. Yeah, that was it. And yeah. it was, I did a course. I'd been working there for a few years, did a course and, and quite enjoyed it. And it was just because I knew something and I had that groundwork. Whereas like if I went to college or anything like that, it was mainly doing stuff that I had absolutely no experience in before. Mm. And so you were just, I was just lost. And, but doing something that I kind of knew a bit about that I could build on. I, thought, well, that's mm. I quite enjoyed that. I enjoyed ended up the fella teaching me was an extra on uh holiday on the buses oh really <laughs> i was like oh right, really oh my god what an amazing thing um he goes, oh yeah you can see me in a few like scenes and stuff I was like oh that's quality um and it was just i saw an advert in empire for 
New York Film Academy and they had uh, a course going in London. It was and then the summer courses. It's like, ooh, I don't mind having a go at that. And then took a couple of months off, did the course, loved it. Took a, a year off, uh, took a sabbatical at work, did the full year course, and just never didn't go back. Mm. Just just carried on like doing film or media in mm. some shape, way or form. Since then, it was just the best thing I ever did. Wasn't easy at no, all. No, it's not been easy. But I just I think about like the like. The old day job, it's like... Yeah, it does cold. If you ever want to train in parapsychology, the degree is actually to get a doctorate at Edinburgh University, because <laughs> I have looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could... I, I honestly don't know if I could do it, but I was just intrigued by it. I was telling somebody in one of the old jobs I did, I used to work in housing, and I said, you know, we really should consider looking at doing this as a degree. And yeah, it's a degree in parapsychology doctrine. It. So who knows? Maybe in the future, it's something I could potentially look at pursuing. Potentially. Yeah, I, I, I mean, even have it. a look at open univer- where, where yeah, they well, offer open un- university. Well, I know Kieran does do it. Yeah, he does. He does his, his course, and that's all I think most things you can yeah. do remotely, especially now after everything oh, has happened. Oh, yeah, after the pandemic. Yeah. A ton of, and I seriously looked into it as well. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm you know, doing all of that. And then uh, some of the first things we did was, you know, we did a, a show about past life progression. Yeah, that was that like was one pilot, of the, I think the yeah. first thing that we actually did. There was that yeah. and a Boney M thing. Nothing ever amounted to anything I hasten to add. The Boney M thing was kind of cool because it's like a bloody hell, you know, me and Liz Mitchell, she was really good. She's got a voice, she has. We recorded her in in Reading. She was amazing. Yeah. And like the fellow that we work with, he. So I've got a friend and he's like uh, his sister works as a set designer and I know what's her last name Sue say Sue Hutchinson some of those but she ended up she worked on Bond and Batman Begins and all of these kind of things she was having a chat with her about indie films and, and features and she goes well indie you've got you can do anything but you just don't have the money whereas the big films you know she goes there you've got all the money but you are restricted but she still it's like this she worked on uh die another day and she goes if you'd like the dna lab I mean, if you see these like they've got all these very fancy lights and i think she, she goes there were there were tr- semi-transparent bins from bastins or something like that that she just put a hole in put the light in and that's the futuristic lights that you search yeah that's all we use and she did this thing with material and pinned it and made this amazing backdrop and uh, it was re- it was again anything you do with this can be such a learning curve and mm. and you kind of remember how people work and how they treat you as well because that's also, also a big part. Yeah, it's really important to treat people right. Yeah, and, you know because we've all been on the you know yeah, both sides of, all of that. Yeah, so. absolutely. But yeah, the past life thing we did was quite interesting. So yeah, even then we was just like yeah, just ghosts. I love ghosts and I love films now. So let's well I've always loved films, but making them just it's like oh god, digital cameras, what an invention. <laughs> Yeah. The rest is history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. digital is like, as its curses, but... But it does certainly have its benefits of post at sort of trying to, to use film. So who would you, for both of you, who would you say has been your biggest influences when it comes to, to the work you've done? Oh, gosh. I would say, as as interviewers go and presenters, journalism... Michael Parkinson was a big influence yeah. on me, you know, and my kind of motivation really, you know, when I particularly I remember interviewing Sigourney Weaver for the for the again for the doc that she that I I could be ranked up there. I wanted to be ranked up there with 
the best people that she'd interviewed. I don't know whether I achieved that and I don't really want to ask her. We got on very well with her. I think, you know, I think we should be grateful for small mercies. Um, so for me, yeah, uh, my, Michael Parkinson was a, was a big influence. And, and, I, and George Clooney as a filmmaker has been quite a, um, an influence for me. Yeah, as well. I, back in the early days, I always said Peter Jackson and Robert Rodriguez, because mm. it was just. I remember sitting and watching Lord of the Rings as a, uh, and because I still love Lord of the Rings, it's just like just just that that era, and probably still stands that way now. I thought they were the best example of modern filmmaking, the way that you've got digital and old school kind of techniques, and the way he was able to kind of blend the two, and. And it just went back to like what I was saying, like that camcorder and watching his early work. And yeah, we can have a go doing something like that. It'd be all right, love. And to go from kind of like thinking that, because I I would see any other film like mm. Sam Raimi stuff or like Spider Man or Ghostbusters or Indiana Jones or Star Wars, and and I'm watching these making ofs and thinking that's fascinating how they did that. But how on earth they know that? But I don't know that. I don't know how they do. I don't. I I could. I couldn't do that. But there was like someone like Peter Jackson that's made these like like weird little dodgy little horror films that are just classics and thinking I could do that. But it's like, but, you know, if I was to work at it for 10 years, like he's done mm. and he's gone from doing those dodgy to like the biggest films of, of like, of, certainly at that, that era period, of all yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So I, it was just that kind of, oh, but if he, if he could do it, mm. then why not me? So it just becomes, and then you find that you don't have to be exactly like those people. You just, because everyone has their own little thing that they become that little niche, little expert in, in some respects. There's things actually, I know that he, were, maybe he doesn't. Well, yeah, well, yeah, thanks to all the people that we spoke to on the exactly. documentary that taught us. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's the, the thing as well that was important for us when we made the film was that we we used as much as we possibly could the practical techniques and in-camera techniques that we were that they discussed with us and showed us what to do and apply that into making our own film yeah i mean that was really important as well it was, yeah it? we did we, we, we learned a lot from from those people that we met and and wanting to pay some kind of tribute or homage to the work that they've done yeah so you know but it was just this you know there's you know we yeah we took a lot from that but with rodriguez robert yeah. rodriguez back to him it was his sort of like boogie as well yeah he did like full tilt boogie which was a cracking documentary like was like at that time Mm. uh because obviously there's been others since um (laughs) it's been i just thought it was the best making of doc because it just it gave you kind of warts and all kind of you know it was you know it showed you sort of like you know there was the highs and the lows and trade disputes or something like that going on while making it it's like you never get this on you know you'd always get like a, a, a dvd and i the same as you love the stuff because it was like all of a sudden there's all this information you'd sit with the audio commentaries like you sat with people in the room listening to i love the i think it was a thing thing or not or, or escape from new york and john carpenter and and kurt russell just just having a laugh thinking god what a, what a god can you imagine being in the room with them it'd be a blast so, you know, but Full Tilt Boogie was just like, that's, that's a really good doc. It was so insightful. And then there was the um, the Blade Runner one, which is just just so thorough. And, and so they were the ones, and the the, appendici- the appendices of, of on Lord of the Rings. But what Robert Rodriguez did was just show that 
how accessible mm-hmm. to make stuff stuff you didn't have to have all the gadgets and millions you could actually do it quite cheaply and when digital became a thing it's like well look at this this is what you can now do with digital cameras like oh this all it just all of a sudden became accessible where it's like up until that point was completely inaccessible and i think he was shoot, was he not editing as well on final cut i don't remember i don't know final Maybe he did. I don't know I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. It was the Coen Brothers did. Yeah. Maybe it was. Maybe. I'm but that, but, but you them. know, Final Cut was. You know, Apple just. Yeah. It was still a thousand pounds and nine hundred a thousand pounds, but it wasn't. You know, Avid. I still can't use Avid. I still can't get my head around it at all. But Final Cut and Premiere, I could use it. It was. We was taught how to use it, but it was just like, okay, this all makes sense. I, I get it. So again, so all of a sudden, you know, getting something on a camcorder, for example. And, and film it. It was like, but now what do I do with the footage? Now I've shot something. I, I don't know how to edit this mm. stuff. And I was, you just, I didn't know where you could go to to get that kind of information. Of course, now we live in a world of YouTube and it's like yeah. this is how you do this. Three point lighting, oh okay, and and all that kind of stuff. So it's we do, we really do live in in such a vastly different world. Yeah. And from that point, like was it mid nineties where digital started and they did the dogma films. It's kind of where we are now. It's, you know, 100 years prior to that, celluloid and, and it was what it was and, and tape-based stuff. But you couldn't afford it. Now, everyone's got, every, most people in their pockets have got cameras for, you know, yeah, yeah, infinitely more powerful than what you sort of like had when they first started releasing those kind of things, even like the like high eight and 16, yeah. really. So, yeah, different worlds. It's, I mean, that is very true, because one of the things that I'm uh, a big fan on film-wise, obviously Ghostbusters is clearly in there. I know very few people who don't like Ghostbusters, but it was like the work of Kevin Smith, and he was one of the people who, when he, you know, he, he basically went as somebody who didn't have any huge background in filmmaking and has managed to make, a, you know, these series of films. If you look at the way Clerks was originally put together, it, it it's a brilliant template for influencing future filmmakers it's also influencing future you know people who've gone into podcasting i.e me and the people i'm with because kevin smith's podcast was the thing that united a lot of us who were working and wanting to make podcasts so the question i'm going to ask is you decided to make a documentary what was the the reason you chose ghostbusters what's your history with the film yeah. Oh, it, well, it's just it's it, just my favorite. Just your favorite film. film of all time, isn't it? Yeah, just loved it, and that that's as, it was as simple as as that really. I, you know, when I was at film school, and they'd say, you know, what's your what's your influences? Um, what's your you know your favorite films? And it was always like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, or you know, like Pulp Fiction or Citizen Kane, which I hadn't actually seen at that point. And all these, and they always like some, you know, typically kind of in vogue kind of like filmmaker. And I was like Ghostbusters. And they, and I remember my teacher kind of laughing really. I said, it's just, it's for me that's a perfect film. I go into the cinema to have a great experience, have a fun film, proper escapism, come out feeling great and thinking I really enjoyed that so that's exactly what I want when I go to the cinema so and and, and it was because you know wasn't anything like the first film I ever saw at the cinema or something like it was just went to see it at the cinema I think my dad took me Claire saw it first yeah um and just captured me and and it wasn't as if like oh that's it I've seen Ghostbusters and I'm not gonna like any other film because you know Back to the Future came out the following year which I also <laughs> greatly enjoy. Um, but you know it was it's always stayed with me I've always like first thing on the internet when I first the internet became a thing was like how do you build a proton pack? Um, 
And <laughs> what's the top, t- you know, worldwide top 10, uh, where does Ghostbusters sit? And it was like number eight or nine at that point, I think. So it's, it's always been there. So when we started to get involved in doing media kind of stuff yeah. and, and, and Blu-rays and it was, and, and DVDs, it was like, oh, doing making of, that'd be an awesome thing to do, going on sets, doing what a cracking thing to do. So, when it again it was just like oh okay i can see that people are making these kind of docs now and we was involved with another one ourselves it's yeah. like right i get it and that guy's going beyond now what what dvds did giving you like 15 minutes like with filmmakers which you never had before this is like a full-on thing like mark Amo did basically with uh, the fear of god documentary the exorcist one and it's like oh, okay and that and that was it and it was like i don't think there was any other film that was just like no. Claire, should we do Ghostbusters for me? Yeah, no, you just came to me, didn't you, and, and said, you know, if, you know, if, I mean, we needed Dan Aykroyd. And so, you know, he, he's he's the brainchild of the, of the film. So if he doesn't want to be involved, then we haven't got a film. So the, the previous documentary we'd um, been involved with had got, um, w- w- was, you know, it was a John Landis film. And so you had chosen an opportunate moment, didn't you, to speak to John Landis and say, you know, do you think Dan Aykroyd would be interested in a documentary about Ghostbusters? And he was like, yeah, sure, I can get you, Danny. I think is that how yeah, you... Exactly. Uh, have I, have I, have exactly. I, uh, so much as you were there. Thank you. I wasn't, but I've heard this story a number of times. Um, and And it was literally a case of that. And, um, you know, then we started to reach out to, to people to see whether they were interested in actually being involved. But I have to say, John... Um, Landis has been yeah. kind of very instrumental, very supportive. And, you know, Dan is, it was a difficult person to get hold of. And it took us four years to actually sit down um, to interview him P- because of logistics. You know, we would travel to America because we you know, hence that, that you can hear the accents were British. So we'd have to fly over to America to do all the filming. And, um, and for the first eight years, we self-funded the doc. So, you know, we'd literally go to work, save our money and go over and, and, and film these interviews. And all the time we would go over to the States and there would be Dan Aykroyd in New York and we would be in L.A. And then if we flew over to New York, it just so happened he was commit, committed in L.A. And we just the dates could never match. But in the end, um, you know, John Landis did come to our yeah. rescue, didn't he? And and just said, look you need to speak to these guys and um and sure enough we we did um but for me ghostbusters going back to uh, your original question it was a kind of a rite of passage film for me i it was the first film i was allowed to go and see without parental supervision um i was a um a teenager called 14 15 i'm gonna probably give my age away there but whatever yeah i'm past caring now um yeah you would have been yeah i think about 15 i think i was and um and so, uh, you know, I remember the seat I sat in in the cinema, you know, the friends that I was with being scared witless from the library ghost and jumping, you know, in my chair. And um, so for me, it holds a, an, an affection in that way. But but I had kind of parked it. I, I was somebody that enjoyed it. But for me, going back and then, you know, uh, you know, Anthony taking me on this journey with him to make this film, um, I, I found um a greater respect for the film because of 
interviewing all these people who have been amazing um very very generous not only with their time but a lot of them lent us props and and, and allowed us to use imagery that they that they own um and so it for me has become a very special film because it's it's well it's a part of me now it's been a 15 years yeah. of my life yeah, yeah yeah you know i could have had a child and grown up and you know <laughs> about you like to leave school <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's our big baby. <laughs> I mean, it is a, a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal documentary. And I was thinking, it was just interesting when you were reflecting on the impact Ghostbusters has had for you, that it, it's been in your life. I, I was thinking for myself, actually, the same thing. It's something from when I was a child. It's always something that's been there. It's always been something I've, I've enjoyed. And then I think probably it really kicked in high gear for me about three, four years ago when I went to an event where there were people who, who actors who'd been in the film were there and then you get to meet the other people who are fans and I've been lucky enough to interview some people who've been involved with, with the Ghostbusters films. So it is something that I think it's one of these films that once it gets under your skin, it yeah. never goes away. But I do remember something that was, and I'd just love to hear your take on this, something my father once said, which was, if someone had come to you to pitch a film and say, we're going to make a comedy about ghosts, people catching ghosts, probably shouldn't work, you know, as an idea. It sounds really bizarre that it shouldn't work, but it, of course, went on to be, for a very long period of time, I think the most financially successful comedy ever made in history. I mean, I can imagine that there must have been a hell of a lot of challenges to making this documentary. And it was probably, no it was, we, we could spend hours probably just on that alone. But what was the, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you had making it? And the, not to, to go negative, we'll look at the, the, the greatest, most successful thing from it. Oh gosh, I think getting it finished. Getting really, it finished was, was the biggest it, was which, the biggest challenge, wasn't it? Definitely. Yeah, which was an immensely complicated task in the end. Yeah. And purely because we just didn't know that process. Yeah. And you know, because I think people don't realise it is it was our first film. Yeah, it's our first film. So it's sort of you know it's one thing you know making YouTube videos and or doing a little bit for somebody and doing a bit of there, or even working on films to be, to be, you know, short independence and stuff, but you kind of do your job and off you go. And then it, the rest of it is you actually don't think there's another problem there to be, to, to be going over, but it, it was really, I mean, it was, it was a long task. because obviously we needed to get all the interviews. Um, and we had lots of ups and downs with that. And we did a Kickstarter after eight years because we just re, drained any kind of financial resources that we had um it's the only way to kind of carry on and that got us to to get at least get the filming done we're supposed to get do everything do the whole post but as we found when when you're going from your little kind of personal project that you know oh, probably you know it'd be nice little very expensive home movie that we made <laughs> to oh you know we're gonna no no we can actually i mean remember claire saying well oh, this could go into cinemas and this is gonna go and, and this and that it's like no it's not it's not it, they, they, these type of things don't do that and whether it was, that was true or not back then, it certainly isn't now. It's that the world has changed. So we did get it into cinemas, but you just can't make something and put it in the cinema, as it turns out. Um, there's all these like legal processes you have to go through. And that ended up taking like months, if not a, a year or so, because um, we'd finished it. It was like in, 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 uh, the year, 2018, we've 2018. So it's like, I think we like kind of finished the edit pretty much 
1780. Yeah, yeah. Apart from a few motion graphics, we knew that the edit yeah. was finally there, you know, and because things change, you start adding on images and then you can tweak it and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of that going backwards and forwards. But we, we were finished with a version that was like, this is it. I think this is it. We got it. Yeah. Uh, and reached out to uh, to someone um, that we knew who was a, a co-producer and who'd done docs like this before and got, you know, got sales agents to do things. So that that was a really, really difficult process. So all of a sudden, sort of like, you know, conforming. Yeah. And I've heard about like online and offline editing, and I basically understood what it was. And then it was like, I, I really needed to know what it was. So, so, so we've done the offline edit, but you have to hand it over to somebody or me to do an online edit. And it's basically making sure that film, everything is legally compliant, mm-hmm. that everything is the right. I mean, the, if you're shooting a film, um, everything's shot in the same frame rate it's not a big deal something like this you got you know we had hundreds of motion graphics and all the interviews were shot exactly the same so that was good and then you got old footage that you're bringing in or anything like that and everything has to be exactly the same frame rate and that was something we just didn't even worry about because the computer you shove it, shove it in the computer and it all works and it renders out and it happy days like, well it? It looks lovely that's it when you watch it on a cinema screen you can yeah. see there's huge problems with that isn't that yeah um so that was that was a huge task to get just to, and just for me and it was great next time round you know on the next yeah. time half of that we won't even need to worry about because it's like right we'll do that right off the bat you know yeah. anything that we've got there anything we make we know we make it like this and we do it like that yeah and and all of a sudden we save ourselves like another month's worth of work yeah. but it's you know getting the you know got to get the sound done you know there's things that you just don't hear when you're sat on your computer but yeah. you've got to make sure that it's all good it's because all it's going to go off sound to, and whatever yeah because you do a thing called a, a qc then you send it to yeah. a distributor or a sales agent and they'll do their qc and it's a quality check yeah and if there's any discrepancies they could turn around and say well we're not going to pay you anything now because we told you to deliver it like this you haven't so so it, you're walking a tightrope and of course you know where we were using sony's intellectual property so we also had to go down the legal route of making sure that the, the we went we what well, we couldn't afford to pay for the for the footage that we used. So what we we used was something called fair use. So um, because you know all the clips and the Sony images that we use uh, are used for educational purposes and illustrative purposes. So you know if you've got say Steve Johnson and Mark Brian Wilson talking about the library ghost and its fabrication and then at the end you know you show the library ghost um you, we're allowed to do that because you know we're, we're illustrating what you know uh, Mark and, and Steve were talking about so that and even even things like you know Sigourney Weaver talking about um comedy and, and performing comedy and we'd use an image of Sigourney but it wasn't her performing comedy and it wasn't in the right era so the lawyers come back and go, you can't use that image. You've got a. She's talking about performing comedy in 1983. So you have to find an image of her performing wow. comedy in 1983. And so the, uh, again, because we didn't know. I mean, we, we had a good idea about following the kind of the, the ethos of fair, of fair use and the kind of thing that would be expected of us we had a good idea of what kind of imagery we we could use and, and and how much footage we could use and even music you know you have to we had to be you know really careful about that um so so there was a hot the legal going backwards and forwards of us changing things and then them having to you know 
start the film from beginning to end and, and keep checking that everything is compliant so that we can ensure the film and so you know we don't get sued um you know there was that was that was 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 one of the least six months yeah it was because we had to the the plan was we were going to premiere the docker um at the sony fan fest thing Mm. that they did a couple of years back that was the big thing and and we were and we looked at the film through it's like it's fine there's, there's got to be like yeah. half a dozen things that they want changed and it's mm. fine and there was like 130 things that needed yeah. to change and they also the thing because it and then it became and it, the thing with fair use is if the company know which they yeah. had conversations with sony over the years so they knew about us in the film but if you approach them to say say we would say instead of no using fair use will buy that license of that bit of mm. ghostbusters to show within the dock so we can do whatever we want with it if you buy it you can put it anywhere in the film you like and it's not a problem but if they turn around and go no you can't use that and uh sorry and that's it you're done you cannot use anything from there as part yeah. of fair use because they they know about it they've already turned around and said no that's it so you have to do it without their knowledge so and we were going to be screening it so we were having these quite frantic phone calls with co-producers and lawyers and all that kind of stuff it's like that we we're over here they've flown us here we're going to we've got to show this thing we can't show nothing we're going to just that's that's going to be bad um as it turns out the event was quite disorganized (laughs) and and we just kind of slipped under the radar we showed some clips and everybody went away happy basically but that was unbelievably stressful yeah the the last couple of years this kind of taking the film to the international market you know because who the whole point of us and any filmmaker making a a film it it isn't about any kind of professional vanity is that you want as many people in the world to see your film see your work yeah yeah, but it's, it's not just that. Yeah, it is. And it's it's also all these people that dedicated their time yeah. to us, whether it was people who are working on it, people like Derek and Anthony and, and Jamie and Dave and all that yeah. and, that's done. We've all worked to make this film done. So you want to honour the work that they've put in, yeah. but also everyone that we've interviewed that is sort of like some of them haven't been put on camera before. And if they had been, they had, they'd never use their interview. So you kind of you owed it to them mm-hmm. as as, to, as much as to anyone else. I mean, we I, you know, I'm, I don't really have any kind of vanity like that. I don't mind if people enjoy it. That's amazing. I'm yeah. happy about that. But, I, you know, it's it's more about, well, these people have entrusted us. Yeah. So we owe it to them. Yeah. So, you know, and when you get to that kind of stage. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was really stressful. It got, yeah. it got some really, really, it was really was not fun. And didn't put us off and wanted to do more. But it was that, it was, that was the biggest learning curve. Because, yeah. you know, when you know, you, well, we edited it and it was mm. like, you know, actually, we're, we're, we're happy with this. It seems all right. Actually, yeah, it's got a nice flow. And, and so we knew how to do that. But, you know, taking it to the, yeah, that other stage, that is, that is a minefield. Yeah. I mean, I don't envy what people do there, but it was, yeah, the fair use and all that. You know, the reason why we don't have, you know, the um, Ghostbusters, the Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters in it was because the one thing we were sort of like told, oh, you can't fair use music. That's a separate thing. But you can, as it turns out. It's really restrictive, but you can use it as fair use for exactly the same reason. So we've got some of the Alma Bernstein score because they're talking exactly about that. So we could have used Ghostbusters. We could have couldn't have used it in the one bit, I don't think, but definitely the other part we could. But we reached out to uh, to Ray and his team and they got their own documentary coming out or come out um, or it was coming out at that point and they didn't want a conflict. So it was like, no. 
And once they say no, that's it. No ifs, no buts. Mm. And we'd had a, a version of Ghostbusters recreated, which is really good. And that was going to be like the, the theme to the dock. And we just had to say, we can't use it. That's it. It's like if they say he said no to that, it means any version of Ghostbusters cannot appear in it. So there was also another bit in the dock where it's the um, the map. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the old SNES sort of like looking map thing. Um that the original music over the top of that is is ghost. It's like a it's like a digitized little diddly diddly mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's great. And uh, it's like no, it can't. Ghost's got to go. It's like Jesus. And I think you can get away with it. You were and you were you. you I think you were like Christ. You hadn't realised how much of of you had used because you had to sort of like with a fine tooth comb go through and remove absolutely any reference to that song anywhere it appeared and the, yeah the only bit where it had an impact was where harold and ivan are talking about john candy and you see him you know you see from the music video go go not having him go ghostbusters and having that come in changed the beat of that yeah gag if you like because it was i'm you know that's supposed to be quite funny you're ivan playing it very diplomatic and then harold going no it was his agent he's like his agency um <laughs> and and it's really with that beat of music in there and saying that it worked really well and it was quite funny but it just falls flat yeah. because you can't have that music on it it was like but you know other things in their work but it was that was the only time when it really caused like yeah nah. but anyway is what it is again going forward uh, we just won't ask <laughs> <laughs> and was there ever was there ever a moment you were making it where you wanted to just put your head in your hands and and seriously think this ain't gonna happen not really no not really i mean there were certainly there were falling outs and things like that yeah. oh, i'm not doing this okay, anymore there was, yeah there was but there was plenty of that on on occasion <laughs> But I no, oh, there wasn't. He's, he's, him and his tantrums. <laughs> Don't worry, I. What what I what I will say is, considering you're saying how stressful elements of this could be, you both look great. You've not. It's not like it's wrecked you. <laughs> You've come out of it very well. Filters on. Uh, on show, obviously, very very good these days. <laughs> the the other thing I re- I've always wondered about when you're making a, a documentary like this. Who was the hardest person to get or the most challenging person to, to get to speak to? Oh, well, I mean, you know, the, the obvious person that we, we didn't actually get was Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'll see at the at the, ty- at the, the, the end credits, you know, I've, I've, I'm talking to him and, and asking him if he'll do the film. And he says he, he does. He will. He was at a press conference. He was at a press conference. Yeah, it was a press conference. He he was there and like bloody hell, let's go. So that was like the third time we'd ask him, and um and so that's what it's not weren't like like he's walking through the street and I'm like camera. Yeah, we weren't stalking him or anything on a, at a golf course. Then we did think about that once or twice, yes, heading up to mind. Glen Eagles or something. Well, his brothers have got a golf course. Uh, they have, in yeah, Florida in, in Florida or something, hasn't it? Yeah. So, you know, he was kind of like the trickiest person that, that we didn't get, if you see what I mean. Um, he was the trickiest person to get. You know what? The trickiest people to get were the ones that were kind of off the radar that, you know, like Mark Brian Wilson, who is the um, performer um, yeah. and fabricator of, of Slimer, for him, for instance, we had wanted to get hold of yeah. and couldn't. And because he's, he's you know, he just, we, yeah, he just he wasn't, just, well, again, you know, contact, different eras, I think. Yeah, like, yeah. Now, you know, Facebook's evolved and everything yeah. else evolved with it. But at the point, that point, there's no details about him, Terry Windell. Yeah. Uh, 
Stuart Ziff and people like that. And, yeah. and uh, Ned Gorman will be in the second lot because he worked at ILM. Like all these people. And Dan was, was tricky, as we've already yeah, said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that was, you know, even down to the literally like the day before that interview, because you, you were waiting for the phone call to say, like, I'm really sorry, you can't do it now. And and we did get, we were sat somewhere and we got a phone call. So, okay. And then you picked up the phone. Hi, she goes, oh, there's a guy who's was Dan's assistant, just making sure everything's okay for tomorrow. Yeah, it is. Oh. <laughs> Thank God for that. And I was but, like, like quiet because I was really nervous. There's something, there's a thousand things that can go wrong right now. Um, and that all went really well, and I was I was dead chuffed with it in the end. But it was that. It, it was it was those kind of people. But you, we just found as you interview one person, they say, yeah. oh, by the way, have you spoke to such and such? Well, no, I haven't. Who's that? Oh, well, you, it's oh, blimey, yeah, we'd love to talk to them. Okay, but he's there, and like gives you like a list of like five people. Have you spoke to such and such? Well, we we'd love to, but we can't find. Him. Oh, he's he's coming in tomorrow. I'll get him to come down. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah so it was. And and I think the people like Sigourney Weaver, uh, Harold Ramis they were that certainly weren't easy for us to get hold of but you know Ivan Reitman's office you know they they had spoken to him and they you know they said you know these people worthy of our time and they had recommended us that you know that we were um so we've been we've been very fortunate that hopefully that people have found us professional you know we haven't overstepped our boundaries and we're respectful of everybody and because of that then people recommend you um and you know we'd already been working as well for years you know, uh, we've got a company called Premier Scene. So we, I've been interviewing. We have been, haven't we, on yeah. the red carpet interviewing a lot of, you know, um, you know, well-known film talent, Hollywood film talent. And so we'd already got a certain body of work behind us um, as well. But, you know, a lot of people, we were just we, we've just been really lucky. But we, we also came recommended, didn't we? Yeah. And, you know, and that's, you know, it, it was an honour for us. Yeah, you know, when absolutely. You, when you find out, it's like, I wonder how. And they're like, oh, wow. It's like, blimey, really? They said that? It's like, well, they obviously don't know us very well, <laughs> which is to our advantage. Even um, I like Kurt Fuller, we, we, when we interviewed oh, him, yeah. because he was in Ghostbusters 2, he'd been at an audition with Ernie Hudson, and they, they were, they'd were been talking about us yeah, in the audition, right, yeah. hadn't they? Yeah. So it's just, it's... it's and it's, it's a small it just, world. There's, there's some, you know, and it's like I said, like that that last couple of years was really tough. Yeah. Um, but you know, it doesn't take away from some of the just the, the things that's happened kind of in between. And, and all that so time many between, highlights, yeah, haven't we? There has, and there's you know, there was just like those long lulls where we couldn't do anything because we didn't, we knew we didn't have the interviews and we didn't have the money to kind of do any more trips. So it'd be like two years before we could do one trip or the next trip, and. And it, but it was just kind of busy doing other things, really. But, you know, there are just like moments where, you know, the one day we wanted to try and get uh, Dennis Murin, oh, yeah. um, um, who, like head of ILM. And, and it's just like there's no details for him on IMDb. And we were uh, at a travel lodge in uh, Santa Monica, Monica. yeah, <laughs> where there are a couple of scenes, prison break, uh, where they where they go to this it doesn't exist anymore they yanked it down but it was dirt cheap especially like it the location prime real estate with it quality. right on the beach um and uh so it was just like well we'll just, just give them a just, let's just phone ilm so you just just that's it. there's the number so phone number's like oh hi oh yes i'm just trying to oh, i don't do the phone call because i'm really kind of i'm really nervy when i when i have to use the phone i'm okay face to face but phones i hate so that's Claire's uh, unique <laughs> one, one skill. <laughs> um, 
So it's like, you know, I, I disagree that it would be your one skill. I'm looking at two. <laughs> what what what's the term they use? Multi talented threat. When I think oh, you oh, two. Oh, oh, oh uh, multitasking. Yeah. <laughs> it's multitasker. So uh, anyway, she's phoned ILM and uh, she told, oh, "Yes, I'm just trying to contact Dennis Muir." And okay, no problem. Just put you through. It is it's amazing when things like that happen. I mean, I got it. Obviously, I reached out to you too, and you yeah, thank you so much for getting back to me. No problem. But it it, it, it is that I can relate only on a very smidgen of a scale. But this thing of when you reach out to somebody and you get a response, because and also that thing where you think to yourself, is it going to happen? Because I contacted Neil Innes. Uh, the, he was a musician. If you'd know him, he would have been in. He worked with the Beatles. Uh, he worked with. Yes, Pat- yes, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to see the Ruttles, which he oh, was. Yeah. Okay, we interviewed. I well, I yeah, because I know I met him years ago, and because he's passed away now, hasn't he? He has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he so he sat with um, uh, Jeremy Jacobs. Do you remember yes, there was that, yeah, that thing? Yes, so yeah. I went off and did some camera, and it's like on Neil Innes, like the the fifth or sixth. Oh, member of the uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that, and the duck on his. <laughs> it's like I remember saying because he always wears this. He had a little. Is it the French thingy? And he had a duck on the head. I don't know why yeah. where that came from. There's a whole thing about it. And he goes, he goes, I take you one me to wear that hat. It's like every time you know you wear a silly hat, you're branded. You shag one sheep, and you. Know, <laughs> It was really funny. When we had to go to his place over, I don't know, it was like Essex Way, something like near near where Jeremy lived. It was great. Uh, yeah. So that's I, the name was like I bloody know that name. Yes. Okay. Sorry. So go on. Yeah. No, it's it's not. It's brilliant that we've actually had some, you know, one of those link things on nobody. But I, I was going to see the Ruthles with it was with my father. My father said you really he'd be a really good interview. You really should try because I obviously had an interest in his work and I thought this ain't going to happen. This is going to be impossible. Twitter just sent him a message. Thought I'll never hear anything from him. Not a chance. Got a response. He said, yeah, come and see me. Well, we'll sort something out. Went to the gig where I can re- definitely relate to that. Is it going to happen moment is you go in. So I had to introduce myself to the management of the, the bar it was at. And I was explaining the process and they spoke to my father as well. We explained the process. They said, right, wait a minute. So they send somebody else out who's one of the, enter- who's the guy who runs entertainment for the gig. Got to tell the story again. And they said, right, leave it with us. So we met that having a drink and they, somebody else comes out and it's Neil's manager. So we have to reiterate the story again. <laughs> And he says, right. He said, I'll go and have a word with him. And me and my dad were talking and we said, this may not happen. This may, this might not be possible. And then his magic came out and just went, no, come on, come through. Spoke to Neil, interviewed him. Incredibly intelligent, amazing man. And it's, I probably was one of his last interviews oh. that he, he would have done. Um, oh. But yeah. And the thing is, it becomes a real honour that they've, yeah. you know, bestowed their time with you, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but it's it really. I just remember he was a really nice. I don't think he even had a bite to eat there. But we had we was there for a while. It was I don't know what happened, even happened with that footage or because it was a, a company and they wanted to do more stuff and it was just like I, I just um. There's things. It's one thing doing stuff for yourself. It's others when you do when you do things for others and then it's either not overly organised too well. Oh, what because it was there's that fellow who was one of those. It was a cartoonist. Yeah, so that's he, right. that was it. And the, the concept was. While the interview was happening, this other fellow is doing a cartoon of the of the bloke, and that's how it was Neil in this case. And I can't remember what happened about it. 
but it was a really nice and it was it was fascinating because i i don't know if i knew of him at all at that yeah. point and um but yeah and then that learning what passed away a couple of years ago and you think what a, oh, what a shame because he was, really was he was really nice yeah. or something phenomenally nice man and it was one of these moments where you sit and you realize that you are sat with someone the intelligence yeah. is phenomenal and that's what I remember seeing with him. I was just like, this guy, it's off the charts. But he was so humble. Oh, but it, yes. was, it was off the chart. You know, you, you, yeah, and he was just a very nice guy. Chatted to me and my dad. Took the time. Amazing gig. So, yeah, and the fact that it, I would have been one of his last interviews meant a hell of a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's what an honour, really, yeah. isn't it, that they've, you know, give it, you know they've given you their time. Yeah, you know, it is. You know, people sort of like talk about us and the doc, and, and there's, I think it's like seven people have passed away since we interviewed them. Um, thankfully, no connection. Uh, that is the only kind of uh, <laughs> it's the only thing that was going on there. But like with Harold and when, when he went, and you just sort of like, this, were we the last person he talked to in depthly about this, these films? Mm. And and he was lovely yeah. really and it's, it's the same thing it's like when you sit with these people and they are they are sharp they're they are yeah. very intelligent but there's no kind of arrogance or no. pretense they just they just treat well, you the just, same yeah. as, as as anybody else and very disarming i think you, you'd probably find the same that, that you know and it's and it says a lot about these people who have had a certain status in the world that you know you walk into the room and knowing that you're going to be nervous and anxious and they just instantly put you at ease you know dare I say you know George Clooney again he's always been like that they they just instantly disarm you and you know and then you can just relax and then and have a, a lovely you know a really lovely interview and I think for us you know what happened with Harold that you start to kind of reflect back and go if we were the last people that he spoke to at length did he know what was going on at the time with his illness that we obviously didn't know about? So in that small amount of time, he's trusted us with his his story and, yeah. and we become custodians of, of how we then represent him. Not that we'd have represented him in any other way other than faithfully, but um, it just adds that extra sort of layer of responsibility, really, that you know, that we do the right thing to tell his story as accurately as possible. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's the kind of responsibility, I suppose, we yeah. all kind of like taking yeah, and doing is. these that's kind of things. Absolutely. And you don't realise it at the time, but when it happens, you go, oh, bloody hell, and it does, it kind of, yeah. it, it does knock you for a loop. It, it did with me, you know, especially with Harold, because I was editing the film at that point, and I couldn't go near the doc for a couple of days, because it was just like, that's, you know, he's not going to be able to see whatever it is that we were going to make. And and the same with with all the others that, you know, you just hope that they were going to, like Terry was, was always someone else that stuck in our mind. And he was like, it was Terry and Richard that we, the only two we interviewed together. And again, Terry was one of the interviews we couldn't find any details. And then we're going to go and interview Richard. And he goes, oh, my friend Terry's going to be here. Did you want to interview him? Because he worked. I was like, yeah, we're here. We'll do it at the same time. It'd be great. And they were, they were a blast. Oh, and we had a good laugh with him. And we end up meeting him for a bite to eat after, uh, like on another day while we were there. 
and he walked in and they were showing a clip from Poltergeist. He goes, oh, God, I worked on that. I did that scene. That's, that's my scene that I did. And he's telling you about Return of the Jedi and doing the lightning bolts coming out of the Emperor's fingers. And you're just thinking, oh, my good God. This is just like like there's the little boy in me and also the fairly elder adult screaming inside right now. Because it's like they're just telling things that you've got such a deep connection to in terms of the films they are. And they're, but it's a job. Well, and actually, no, it's, even though it is a job for them, but you can see it's it's still something they were passionate about. And I think that's something about Ghostbusters. And we were talking with John Bruno recently, who's in the film. So um, we just Skyped with him a couple of days ago, and he was saying, you know, as many did, this was a film that kind of changed my life and my career. Mm-hmm. This is where I was doing this, and then I went, and I went off and did all these other things after I did that. It's so. And that's the kind of important role that that film yeah, places for a lot of yeah, people. Absolutely. So it isn't just yeah. for the fans that have sat and watched it and loved it and now buy jumpsuits and build proton packs and all that kind of stuff. It's it was it was transformative for the people behind the lens. Yeah. And that is what's I think important about this film is that it really it, you know and every film probably does have that you know some films are a disaster but they still they're still important like there was something the island of Dr Monroe the documentary on that that's. That's fascinating for completely different reasons to what Ghostbusters is. But it's, you know, it's it's kind of those important tales that when you sit and you sit and talk to people and how they interact and how they do these things, in some respects, isn't very different from any other kind of working environment that everybody has to work in. The office job and all the rest of the different personalities, the one the ones that like joking, the ones that like getting on with the job. But, you know, film, you're creating something that will be seen and, and recorded for generations to come. Whether people see some of those films very much is another thing. But, you know, you know, the work that we did back in the old days of IT, that's like long since forgotten. Yeah, and yeah. even, some of us don't even remember us now, yeah. which is a good thing because <laughs> I don't want to remember them either. But, you know, you do this type of stuff. I've got a friend, I'm rambling on about it now, but a friend who's an editor and uh, I think I showed him an early cut at the dock. And he says, you know, but you've gone and done something that I've, he says, I've worked on dozens of things. But nobody's ever going to kind of look at that and go, well, that was that. It's like either a reality TV thing he's done or something. It's like, but you've done something that you are, you will be remembered for. And that's what we've all done is that, you know, it's, you know, hopefully whatever level people will still come and look at this and go, yeah, yeah you know, that's we've, we've done justice to those people. And yeah. and there's something we've done that will kind of like make it all worthwhile. Yeah. And um, I mean, both looking at, you know, when you're making Clean Up the Town, but also on the wider work you've done. What's been the ultimate pinch yourself moment of, of someone you've met or something that happened where you're thinking, you, you know, where you have like an out of body experience? I got that when I met Kevin Smith. I've met a few famous people. Bizarrely, Kevin Smith is the only one where I turned to my friend and went, holy, I use language I can't use now. I've met Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> But it gets you like that. I always, I always put it because the same for we've met a lot of people, yeah. but it's it's there, there are some that you have a particular affinity to, and especially if they're people from your childhood. Yeah. And, and you know you do the red carpet stuff, and then one time we interviewed Suggs for Madness. Yeah. Like, Bloody hell. <laughs> it's just, madness. Um, but yeah, the, yes, is the uh, there was a lot there was there's quite a few occasions, and yeah, and there's those moments of like, All right, okay, I have to kind of keep this in. I've just got to get on with the job and be professional. professional. Yeah. And I always say that, especially in, when we were doing the original, the earlier interviews, um, they were all done on tape. And it was when I actually had to write down their names on the tape and the like, little code that we had made it real. It was like, I remember I just had to write Harold Ramis on the table, like bloody hell. It's something about it, having to write that. But 
I, there was there was a lot. I mean, that yeah. Aykroyd, that was like one moment. Um, Is that what, are, you, are you asking generally or just on the film? B- both, both. Uh, I'm I think, intrigued to know. You see, I always like to find out people's experiences. Yeah, well, I, I think for me, um, def- it was. God, I'm going to mention his name again, George Clooney. Um, that's I think the third time. Blair, there's no problem with name dropping. It's, <laughs> I have no, no problem with that at all. Yeah, yeah, and he has to keep picking them up. I, I tell you why it was uh, George Clooney for me because we, as you, you know, we, we sort of said before, like we worked in IT, we lived in the southwest of England, so far removed from the film industry. You know, we have no famous people connecting and opening doors for us or anything like that. And um, I got a job working um, for a company doing red carpet reporting. I, I, I just remember seeing George Clooney from Dust or Dawn thinking, oh, my God, he's absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, I had a boyfriend at the time who was like all getting all jealous and stuff. And you're like, that's ridiculous. It's He's Hollywood and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an outpatient receptionist, which I think I probably was yeah, at the right. time. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then I go on and do my tea and whatever. And then I decide to change my destiny, end up working on the red carpet and interviewing George Clooney. And I think that was a huge pinch yourself moment because that was the, because I changed my destiny. I had, you know, I was way in my mid thirties when I decided to up and go to London and pursue a completely different career. And there I am interviewing this guy that was so far removed from anything that I'd ever known in life, interviewing him, holding my own as an interviewer, as well as having a bit of a flirt and just feeling very, you know, like I'd held myself professionally and, and, that for me definitely was a, a big pinch yourself moment that I feel that I had achieved something because if I can change my destiny, then everybody can. That's how I feel about that, really. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, just even generally, and, and I'm not, I'm really not saying this as a cliche, but I really feel that, that, that I've, I've, it's been a privilege to do what I've done. We've had to work very hard and yeah, we've had yeah, a lot yeah. of sacrifices. You know, if you want, a salary at the end of every month and you need that routine and that um that stability then this isn't the life for you we've had a lot of ups and downs and undulations but i think not necessarily and for me i've always felt like we come in this world the same way and we go out the same way and um so i don't interview anybody tom cruise any differently to i'd interview you know the pioneer in recycling that i did yeah. you know many years ago i treat everybody the same and and, and i think the huge pinch yourself moment for me wasn't about who we'd met or who we'd interviewed it was when we stood at um we were at the bfi IMAX we had our European premiere and because I'd done so much red carpet as has Anthony we we, we were you know we were used to being in that environment and we know that it's Tom Cruise or Steven Spielberg that have their premieres at the BFI IMAX not independent documentaries and we were stood on the same stage as where they stood yeah. doing a speech and with a with a, a really like large audience with our film 
on on the biggest screen in the UK. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. No. And we and know that about Spielberg because we were a couple of we, months we, earlier. Yeah. This is where they screened Ready Player, Ready Player One, One, and he was stood wow. exactly there. So we knew, and we were only a couple of rows away. It's like this is weird. That was such a weird. And we wouldn't even known at that point that we were even no, premiering I, it there. I, I died, no. It was. I just remember jumping. I mean, literally leaping for for joy when when the BFI graciously allowed us to to screen our film. Yeah, there. that was there. And yeah. I and even when you told me, I was like, that ain't gonna happen. You know, it's like, it's like no. <laughs> No, 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 that's not going to happen. I ain't going to get myself worked up over this because it's it's just not. It's not it's, there's a again, there's a hundred things that can go wrong between now and then, and it were and they were like, well, you know, it was. They sort of like said, so, well, we've got you know um, this screen, this screen, and we've also got the like the the BFI IMAX. If that's of interest, yes, it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and we we're like, no. And I thought they no, they're not. They're, this is this is going to be very yeah. different. And no, they, they now came off. It was it was it was a weird night in a very very good way. It was just like this. Again, this this just doesn't happen. Yeah. And we're there, and it's just like, and we're having to do interviews, and uh, yeah, the shoe was, was on the other foot. It yeah. was a dream. It was honestly, it was a dream come true. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, you know. No, I used to dream about going yeah. to an IMAX, but I we lived down here, and there was no IMAX. This was only in London. So, the fact that within a few short years, I'd finally got to an IMAX to see a film there, to actually making something, to it being yeah. like premiered there. That was, yeah. It was, it was, it was, you know, it was one of those moments where a tear comes to your eye, and and all the blood, sweat, and tears, and there have been blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> and there was to, more to come after that. And there was found. more to come after. That's we didn't know that at the time, and that is a whole other story. Um, but um, we, I, I really felt that we'd had the right to, yeah, because it, we, it had been a very tough journey to get and, there. And it's like, and we've said it a few times now that you know we. You know, doing the doc for the most part has been a, a giggle. Yeah. You know, the, the, like saying about like the Dennis Muir and thing, it led to like a couple of days later, it going driving up to San Francisco, interviewing Dennis Muir and ILM in the morning, and then the afternoon driving over to Pixar and interviewing uh, Harley Jessup, who was, yeah. who was uh, worked on GB2 as well. So it was just like in one day I'd been to Disney and had to uh, to Pixar. Well, it was Disney, I suppose, but you know, Pixar and ILM. It's like. What a, what a I know, that was This yeah. doesn't happen. This doesn't happen when you're sort of like tweaking away at computers, swapping out printer cartridges. Um, <laughs> so it's so that was like one of those kind of moments. So you have all those kind of times. Yeah. yeah, we did this and we went there. And, you know, you we haven't had any holidays for years, really. No. But, you know, every trip we've done has been a working holiday. You know, it's it's been fun. And we've driven done like, the drive from New York to L.A. twice. Yeah. And when we've done interviews and now there's been a direct routine you've gone down or we've gone up and we've done interviews up there we've done interviews down there and LA and that's it so you do all those things and and you have a bit of a laugh and you you enjoy it for that but then there was all this other stuff that happened all the like this this post stuff that we had to do and everything that kind of came afterwards to do with the distribution which was really complicated yeah it was really difficult to deal with and you go through that and it's like right now I think we can call ourselves filmmakers It's one thing when you're sort of like, yeah, he did a bit of this, ah, you know, like we did a bit of that and whatever, you know, it's all, all part of the fun. But you get, it's, it's the, it's the, you can't, it's difficult. I, yeah, for me, it was just difficult to go, yes, well, I'm, I'm a director and all, I'm this, I'm that, when you've had such a laugh and, and it's, everything has been a pleasure. It's when you have to go through the hard times, it's like, yeah. right, okay, now I understand the things that people have to go through to get their work out there. And ours, although I do think it was unique that some of the things that happened happened 
all on one project rather than being a variation of yeah. things happening on different projects because that's normally what happens. We just seem to get everything in one go. Yeah. <laughs> like over the course of one thing and the other, it's unbelievable the stuff that was going on. And you were just like, but you get to the end and you're just like, but I, I yeah, yeah. We, we can hold our heads up high and go, yeah. no, we bloody earned our stripes on that yeah. one, we really did. So, um, and we just feel very proud when you're sitting and you're sharing that with an audience. That's, again, another pinch yourself moment when you see people viscerally responding to your film. You know, they're laughing in the right places and they're gasping at the, you know, they're like, oh, I can't believe that. And, you know, and they and you just and you just feel, you know, and, and that is the beauty yeah, of being in a cinema, that whole that collection of energy all responding. And it and we were just looking at each other going, Oh my God! Yeah, this we, is this. We, 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 it was beyond our wildest dreams to see people yeah, react like because, that. I mean, film. like again, I didn't think it was going to be a cinema scenario with with the doc. Um, you know, the best we was going to hope for that was going to be like a special feature or something like that on uh, on the on the on the release of Ghostbusters. You know, there we were sat in this cinema, and you know, it's difficult because I'm watching it, waiting to see something happen, some kind of flick or, or mistake. And even though you know it's all gone through the like the special process of QCing and stuff, you're still waiting for some thing to go wrong so that part of you is there but when they start yeah first time in an audience that's outside of our direct circle of friends that you know the most has been in the room is like yeah. me and claire with a Five friend or a couple of of it, yeah. it was just like this is oh, this is all going to go very well and and you know half full of people in jumpsuits yeah so we're going to be gonna break their wand on their head when, uh, when it all goes sour. yeah yeah um, this is what we waited 12 years for <laughs> We're in fire. No, they don't really work. Yeah. And it is quite amazing seeing the, because I have been to conventions, I've covered stuff at them, I've met fans, but I've never, ever met fans like Ghostbusters fans. It's, the, the dedication is just brilliant. It really is. It really, what was brilliant. the event that you went to that you said you went to an event? Uh, we, we, for Ghostbusters, it would have been, there was, it was, probably like the second or third convention so I think I'd ever been to it was for the love of would it have been for, for the love of sci-fi, sci-fi in yeah. Manchester we'd have probably been there oh it's so when Ernie was there there was, was it... Ernie Jennifer Runyon that's the one yeah, we were there we did the we Q&A we, we did a Q&A, we did a Q&A, Q&A yeah I was probably tra- that was yeah I tried to get to Q&A but I was stuck in a queue <laughs> but I couldn't okay, get out yeah, it was a bit it was busy that there was, wasn't it yeah, yeah that was yeah that I remember them like they were really going nuts about. It. I mean, we wow. we were yeah. slightly lost. We ended up staying in the, in the, the green room. <laughs> Again, it was a weird experience because you're in there and you got bloody, you got Shatner. Night, you got William Shatner <laughs> strolling in. It's like, and you, and you can hear as soon as he walks in, he's got a presence and it's like, yeah. you got bloody David Hasselhoff like it couldn't strolling get off, in. They couldn't get him off the stage, could yeah, they? Couldn't. They literally were like having to prize him off the stage. <laughs> we were as Q and A was. But he, uh, was was running late because literally David Hasselhoff was like <laughs> glued to the stage. Yeah, you couldn't get him off. You had th- yeah. then there was there was Ian McDermott, you had the Emperor, you had the fellow mm-hmm. that had to pay Boba Fett, you had, and it was just it was weird. And you just kind of then you just kind of sat there casually, like yeah, this happens every day. Thinking, oh my god, this doesn't happen every day. <laughs> this is so stupid. I've got I can't be geeking out right now. I can't. Um, but yeah, I remember that. Like people were were not happy because. They just, yeah, the queues were huge. They couldn't get into places. It was, I think they've got better at organising that event now. But yeah, I don't know how many times they've done it. I mean, it was a, that was a great, a great event, though, in anyway. terms of what they what they put on for, yeah. for the fans and stuff. It was fantastic. That orchestra that was playing. Yeah, that's right. Was like, that's just like, bloody hell, that's amazing. 
And there was, yeah. I don't know if you would have been there, but they did a screening of it, of the of Ghostbusters. That's right, they did. Ernie, didn't Ernie do an intro or something? Uh, Ernie and Jen did it. Yes, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that was a really cool experience to be part of, because I was there for that one. I met, you know, people I've, I've stayed friends with from from being there. Uh-huh. The, the other, I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to discuss with me, you were saying that you, you the, the film went out and then there were issues afterwards. Are you able to talk about that? Do you want to talk about that? I suppose what we can say, because it is always oh, public knowledge, isn't it? Yeah. But the sales agent that we we had went bankrupt. So we and took we, our film with it. And took our film with it. And, 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 and with everybody else's. And they were the biggest. The biggest sales agent, sales in, the agent in the country. In the country. They, they represented Line of Duty, you know, so a real heavy player in the, in, you know, worldwide film sales and had um, a living moss wall yes they did on the reception desk <laughs> on shaftsbury avenue it was just like it was moss with q and it was like it was all very nice it was yeah, it was very nice but they, yeah they went they went bankrupt so there was that was uh it was a bit of a, a legal battle to get our film back which we did yeah and um uh, you know that's probably about as much as we can yeah. really, you know, sort of say. But that was. We're going to remember to be quite honest. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was very, it was, very stressful. It is. But, um, you yeah. know, our story was the same as, as potentially kind of hundreds, <sighs> yeah, hundreds or even thousands of, of different filmmakers that were, you know, in, in, the, in the same problem with, uh, yeah, as the, us. Yeah, the, 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 the other one that they represented was the Michael Jackson documentary. Yeah, yeah. Is it Leaving Neverland or Finding? Yeah, Leaving Neverland. Uh, they, yeah. Um, they did that. But it, I, you know, yeah. yeah, it was something like that. And they represented that, but they knew. I remember when we went in the office with them, they knew their stuff. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, we're going to get swallowed up. We'll just be like another one in the catalogue and all the rest of it. And they literally do did have a catalogue. Yeah. Two, one for the films and one for documentaries. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And But it didn't matter what page you could turn on. He could go, right, okay, well, that was such a, and he could rattle off. He knew that film, he'd seen it, and he worked, and so he knew, like, any film you could pick out of that. And it's like, that's really impressive. Yeah. And go, we'd met with others, and some were like, you know, you meet with these people, you think, oh, great, what do you think? Oh, no, we haven't had a chance to watch a film yet, but, you know, we're willing to do something. It's like, well, and that, because we were, a lot of, the biggest push was, you know, you've got to make it 90 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was just, but, but it isn't, it's, it's two hours, and it works like that, and, that's what we edited it to and i've tried to edit it down and and we did edit a shorter version like a hundred minute version to, to make it for screenings and yeah, things like yeah, that and broadcast, but it's yeah. like but it is not never to be used as like the version that we put out on disc or, yeah. or on you know um, itunes or whatever but it, it just bothers you it's like well you know you can't well we're gonna and, and some are just like but it's, it's difficult to sell that it's like and our we always had a plan a which was yeah we'll make the dvds or the blu-rays and we'll sell it ourselves we'll go to comic cons and we'll flog it yeah. So that was always there. So anything that anyone's going to say, well, if you don't do that, then it isn't a deal. It's like, okay, that's fine. It's not a deal. Thanks very much for your time. Yeah. Just, you know, we've got other things to be doing. So it was, you know, and it wasn't kind of an arrogance. It's just like no. I'm, I, we've just got we to were, we're, we're we're done with it. We weren't prepared to compromise, were no, we? We know what we know. The film, we know what works. Yeah. We know what the fan base really want. You know, some of the fans wanted the four-hour kind of cut, which was kind of what it was originally. So, um, and but it's like no, I've we're happy with it it flows it doesn't yeah. feel like it it drags anywhere and i've watched it a lot now so um and it, but it was always if you can tell me where or, or what bit you don't like and blah 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 i'm, I'm happy to address it and, and look at it and nobody could ever give you an answer so there so it stays two hours and they 
were very accommodating like that. And I was in what it was, they were really impressive, but unfortunately, um, no. not impressive enough in some ways <laughs> to make enough money because they went bankrupt. And yeah, and that was, it was, that was, oh God, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, nothing about that. You know, and there was a point, no, it's all right, you'll just, the rights will revert back to you and it'll be fine. And it did not wasn't. happen like that at all. And, and again, it's, very difficult to deal with especially you know that was it was 12 years of work yeah at that point. yeah it was yeah that we were potentially yeah, was, losing was. everything yeah it was all that work it was like what's going to happen now because you hear about this all the time you know yeah. oh there's such and such remember that film they made yeah it's like stuck on a shelf because they made it for canon and it's like now it's you know can't get distribution or something and you're thinking are we is that going to be us now yeah and it's just like seriously you've got to get this fixed it was it was and it, it took it, ages it just, yeah to do. it was very very stressful so it was, but yeah. you know, again, learned from learned, it. Learned from it. And, so, but you got there in the end. So I also want to ask, what made you choose cleaning up the town? Obviously, it comes from a, a song within the film. Right, what made you choose that as the title? Well, well, really, it, it kind of they did clean up the town. Yeah, it was, it was basically a a kind of it was one of those sort of I suppose sleeper films that were being made that they made it with not expecting it to have the boss box office return that it did so I think that was definitely one of the reasons why we called it yeah and we came to it I think we just we've thrown around different ideas about titles I can't even remember what some of them were now oh we went we, we were going through hundreds of titles but all the time it kept always coming back to this one you know it mirrors what kind of what happened yeah, in their so life and, the, and, and they cleaned up the town effectively and you know you know the, with the success and and financially and you know the next film is is too hot to handle remembering ghostbusters 2 and the reason being is because at that point in the, in the in the film it, it, you know in the, in their careers or in 1989 or like 88 when it was probably made can't even think now 88 isn't it started filming in 88 yeah yeah um, so but but that was you know that it, it was already it was a bit it was it was hot property and they yeah. had a lot to live up to so you know had they you know was it too much to handle I quite liked it. I always, because yeah. I think it was just I wanted to give more recognition to that particular track because it was just a great. And yeah, I think, we always really And I think there was, it was like saving the day, and there was like, yeah. so there was. I just, yeah, I just, yeah, there were. It, certain, was, I, it was a celebration as well, wasn't it? You know, them cleaning up the town. Yeah, exactly. So it was that was it, and I, I just can't remember the exact kind of eureka moment where it was just like that works, and. I just remember being having several conversations about it. I don't know. I mean, it was going we, I, I remember writing a list and and thinking, you know, we'll, we'll call it something else. And all the time, we just kept reverting back to cleaning up the town yeah, because think, everything yeah, it just felt right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Claire, you perfectly segued into what my next question is going to be, which is, what can you tell me about Too Hot to Handle? Ooh, well, I mean, we can already tell you that Randy Edelman will be composing the score. Um, so the original composer of Ghostbusters 2 is joining us. Yeah. We are very, very excited to, to have really, him on really board. And we are, there we go. We're pinching ourselves there as well. Um, so we're looking forward to working with him. And, and I think it's going to be a much easier film for us to make because there's you know with the with thanks to people like William Forsh who who was shooting at that point lots of um, behind the scenes 
material and kind of just on his camera which we we never had in ghost uh, for clean up the town you know they didn't do that on ghostbusters so we've got a lot more kind of archive material in that respect yeah. that we can use so um it's going to be a simpler film i think it will be much different because it's a much different story yeah um to tell um but i i I, do you know what i think this one is probably going to be much more interesting yeah because it's there's there's not a lot on ghostbusters too yeah and that's always been the biggest kind of problem it was the thing i was really looking forward to when we was making because it was originally as part of cleaning up the town that was it was just going to be one dock and that was it and um and then while we were editing after we'd done the we'd come back from the kickstarter kind of trip and we're cutting it all together. It's just like there's no way we're going to get this down to like 90 minutes without sacrificing way more than I'm comfortable with. <clears throat> so let's why don't we make it? It's going to be like part one, clean up time, part one and part two. And then it's like, actually, let's just make it separate docs because it makes mm-hmm. sense. And then it can be their own unique thing. And much the same way the Ghostbusters 2 is because you can, and as people have done, watch Ghostbusters 2 without seeing Ghostbusters. It, they, it works perfectly well as its own standalone film. So that's, and, you know, staying where we want to do with Clean Up Town and make it look and feel like you're watching the original film again, we want to do the same with that. So it's like I've got ideas about what there are a lot of things we can do kind of practically in terms of like intro and things like that, which I cannot wait to sort of like finally start getting a, getting a rig on with some of those into, things. Getting your hands dirty, literally. And I think Derek Osborne as well, who is our motion graphics editor and he did the animation towards kind of the end of the film and he has done an outstanding job because he came on as our archive producer um originally and then he's done you know he's illustrated and and just brought to life all that archive material in such an artistic way um but he he his film is ghostbusters too isn't it yeah that was you know so he can't wait to get his hands on doing yeah. the motion graphics and so he and was doing like he's been doing all the like the, the first kind of pass at the end i did a one pass so he's kind of doing a second pass i suppose but he kind of completely does his own thing and we work very well because he has one way of editing i have another way and that's how we got clean up the time ways because when we combine both of ours together you know bits that i might do that might drag or be too fast see whatever way while they're speeding up or slowing down and vice versa and then we end up getting this really nice rhythm with it so you know and we just kind of looked at it at a kind of like a rough cut and or rough assembly really is what it is and then it was just like we really we do need to get a few more interviews because we, we kind of miss a few of those kind of people like the jennifer runyon steve tash kind of just kind of popping up so reached out to a few more people mm-hmm. through lockdown so just kind of waiting for the world to return to some kind of normality yeah um where everything's still a little bit too nuts at the minute and and go out do a few more interviews and then that'll be it really we can just dive in and i don't yeah yeah, it won't be apart from like everything we were talking about before we can just circumnavigate yeah yeah so much of the the the, aggravation yeah the red tape Mm. um we can make sure we are fully focused on that and have a bunch of stuff done before so it just doesn't become another task to do. It's just something we just do on the side while we're doing it. It'll be easier. So I'm I am really looking forward to it. I just I, she, I can see a load of stuff in my head. It's just like right, okay. So we just got to get it out there. So um and yeah, so that's just it. Just need to get out, to get be able to get to the states, do those interview mm-hmm. final few, and then that's it. Then we're off and running basically. We can get we can add those into what we've got and know what we have and then then putting all the lovely motion graphics and things oh and and of course you know we've got jason reitman in the film as well oh yeah which when we interviewed him 
he was doing up in the air. He was an indie filmmaker that mm. didn't do blockbusters. So yeah. funny how the world has changed. Well, I'm champing at the bit for that because yes. Ghostbusters 2 is the first one I ever saw in a cinema. So I have oh. real memories of real, real positive memories of that. I remember I was chatting to Ernie Hudson at the Manchester event. Oh. And he was saying how, you know, for some, there's always a bit of a divide, isn't there? And I've, I don't get it. To me, it's all Ghostbusters. It's all enjoyable. But there's supposed yeah. to be this divide between fans, between the first and the second. And he was saying how for some people it is like their fondest memory and i love the first one i love both of them but i think the second one has a little bit of a place in my heart more because it is the first one i ever properly got to sit and watch in a cinema um so any ideas when we're going to get too hot to handle out or am i <laughs> Oh, no, yeah, that, 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 I, you know what, that, that is a good question, and we definitely can't commit to that one. <laughs> um, well, you know, well, we don't know. Until we can get out to the stage, if we yeah. had those interviews in the yeah. back, we would, I, I would imagine we're sit, we would be sitting on something that would probably be at least two-thirds completed, but we're not. <laughs> so, and it's kind of like that thing, there's yeah. only so much editing can you do. I, I know, I remember when... Um, it was Randy Cook, wasn't it? Was it? Randy yeah. Cook. I, I, I'd done a, a version, I'd done like first, you know, whatever, how many passes in the dock at that point. And it was a terror dog bit, and we hadn't interviewed Randy Cook. Um, he was one that we just couldn't get hold of for whatever reason. So. I think Steve Johnson kind of like... Strong arms. We were at this. We were yeah. another yeah monster palooza event, and and Steve Johnson, who you know, as you know from the documentary, is a live wire, and he really is. He's 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 amazing fun. Anyway, he kind of collared Randy Cook and just said, oh, "Why why haven't you done the interview?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Well, now like... you've backed me into a corner. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gave it, and then poor bloke had had, had relented in the end, and we wore him down. <laughs> so we, but I, I edited the Terradog stuff. There was like a version of it, um, which I really must kind of revisit that. Just. Out of my own sense of curiosity. Um, and I thought this is going to be a piece of cake. It's already done. All you got to do is drop him in and that's it. And it was not easy at all because he was like the he was the one who headed the Teradog stuff. So it it was a complete reconstruction. I struggled doing that for ages, months, I think I was at it for. I couldn't get the right kind of rhythm and flow. Um and and somebody else. Stephen had a pass at it, and I think they did a version which was okay. But it wasn't until Derek kind of fully came on, and then we just like again we had to re-deconstruct re- it and reconstruct it again, and and it was fine. And it's always it's great when you've got you know and, and like any kind of assembly down because it really does help kind of focus the mind more when you can see something and you watch it over and over and you realize okay actually we don't need that actually that's really he's, it may sound as though he's talking about different things he's actually talking about the same thing he's just saying it differently. <clears throat> And that all kind of comes down. And that's really where those original edits went from like originally five hours to four hours to three and a half. It's about three. It was like and then down to the two. It's just just keep paring it down. And then it gets brutal. It's like what sequence needs to come out and stuff. But I remember that. So it's not it's so I'm always very hesitant to go. Is this everything that we've got? Because if we've got to add people in, unless they're, you know, they're only going to be adding in a couple of little snippets here and there. I don't like doing too much editing because it's like otherwise you're just you're giving yourself a load of work to what you'll just have to completely do over again once you get those interviews. So so yeah, there was I think there might be ten. I think ten or ten more interviews. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that'd be great. And if we and a few of them have already agreed to it, we just yeah. kind of get it all sorted. So we'll get that in. 
and, and that's it. So, you know, I think Clean Little Town took, I don't think how long it took. It was about two years. Yeah. From, from like, Derek properly yeah, coming on board, yeah. to like, which was, like, late 2016 to... Yeah, to yeah it was. It was, like, two yeah, years, yeah. like, two years. So it's fair to say, so it could be about... And, but it could be easier. So we could be yeah. about two and a half years. Could be a year. Could be six months. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How long? Got is, sorry, yeah. You got, you got, you got me on the edge wanting that. But, yeah. <laughs> but, no, I do. I will say on the interview front, for, for me personally, one person that I still have on a list that I need to interview is Jennifer Runyon. Oh, she's lovely. She, she's absolutely wonderful, and she. We kept looking at getting an interview f- for me to do it, and for some reason we've never been able to pull it off. So that's one that I'm still hoping someday I will. Yeah, <laughs> I'll no, and stick at it because she because she's really really worth. Yeah, yeah she's, she's lovely. very she's very, yeah, she's she's got, very sweet. Yeah, she's got a great kind of energy with her. Yeah, and, and I was just. You know, I'm buzzing because part of from being a steward, she was in the pilot of Quantum Leap, and I was just like, this is just great. <laughs> was telling her about that when I met her. I got to sign the Quantum Leap book prelude, which is all about the the uh, the first you know that first episode, the pilot she was in. So I got oh, to yeah. But yeah, very very cool stuff. So the, I'm going to obviously have to ask you: doing the Ghostbusters documentaries for the first one, the second one, could we see an afterlife documentary in the future? I know everybody keeps asking us that. I well, yeah, I don't know. We'd have to see. I I would like to. Hopefully I'm not too old. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, as we said, we don't have kids ourselves. So, you know. Uh, no I don't have any kids either. Not that I know of, anyway. Can't do it like, we can't pass the bat on. Like I'd, right I'd like to. I would even like the 2016 one, you know, because yeah. that has a place in history. For, for, and sadly, for very different reasons. Um, and whether you love it or hate it or, or like it, and I like it. I enjoyed the film when I saw yeah. it. You know, it's not Ghostbusters as we knew it, but it's to some people, they love that kind of film and that's it. I, I don't mind them. I'm not a big fan of like the ad libby kind of things. And Ghostbusters is sold so much. It's like, oh, it's ad lib. It's like, kind of not the way that those kind of films are done. It's not, not the, they're a different kettle of fish. Um, but it, be interesting. I thought that maybe you could kind of, it's one, maybe two films you could yeah. combine because that, you know, the 2016 one does represent the beginning of a different era yeah, of, yeah. of that. And without that film, yeah. you wouldn't have got out Afterlife. Yeah. And because Jason said that in, a, in an interview, that it's like it kind of took the pressure off. Mm-hmm. So he could go, right, well, I could probably go ahead and make my own Ghostbusters film now because I'm not following on. But we'll see because we, <laughs> we don't know. I mean, the, the reviews are that it's a that it's a cracking film. But I mean, we've got a lot of like we were in like the whole reason we ended up going to Canada to screen it first was because there was a film festival happening there and they and they were filming uh, in calgary so it's like so they just kind of combined it all in and they wanted some of the crew there and we met up with one of the producers he, he, did, he couldn't make it at the time because he was still working but he met us in a bar afterwards while i was drinking a caesar oh yeah they're nice they are very nice um some of the community there the uh, alberta ghostbusters some of those worked on the film so um i don't know if it's common knowledge or not to be quite honest but i know that they they had them there for i think for about a week doing some because that you know they all like insane about the detail about what a proton yeah. pack is or a ghost trap or whatever so they did some work to make sure everything looked much more screen accurate, accurate than what yeah. they they had i to be honest I, and i love the film but i wouldn't probably tell the difference but they have that kind of like eye to detail that's needed so as yeah. things were happening at the time so it would be nice to kind of try and do something in the future but I, there, would, there, would have, there would have to be a passage of time i think because i think that what i've noticed is that 
you know, because we do a lot of interviews where people are um, promoting their film as it's being released, it's a very different experience to somebody who you're interviewing that's had 30 years in between that you know looking through rose tinted glasses and the, the kind of the halcyon days of filmmaking or however you want to kind of put it you know how many how many years has got to go by before we could interview jason reitman and have a, that a, enough distance from it to make it retrospective because yeah. it was i remember That's when we actually the, when we, I think it was at that Calgary screen, or maybe it was Calgary, maybe somewhere else, where somebody asked about getting the interviews as and you know going up there yeah, and interviewing. Yeah, people. that's right. Yeah, because that's you know that's going to be the trick. You get it while it's happening like full tilt. Yeah. And so, but that's all very well if, as as the filmmakers, you are one hundred percent trusted mm. that you could open up about something, and if you're mm. a little bit kind of like maybe I shouldn't have said that. And, and, you know, say like Ernie, for yeah, example, you yeah. know, if we'd have interviewed Ernie at the time of everything happening in Ghostbusters and he knew us and, and trusted, we would have had a very different interview with him then compared with what 20 years, 20, 25 years at that point had done for that, you know, because it was it was yeah. quite, I think, uh, traumatic. I think it's probably a word you could use yes, for him at yeah. that point. But he had some perspective on it. So you can kind of. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to know how the best interview you'll get. Yeah. And yes, you could sometimes get it raw while it's fresh in the mind and, and how they're feeling about it. And, and that's yeah. great to do. But also time does give a perspective on things yeah. like, you know what, I, I might have said that then, but I didn't know about this and this that yeah. was actually happening over there, which was impacting them, which is why that happened like that. Yeah. So it's and it just yeah. And it just can make it a sometimes can be a much more pleasant kind of experience. And you, you, you know, I don't want to make something where people's, you know, the fear was even when we were making this was like, what if it was a miserable yeah. experience? What if these people actually are very nice? Yeah. It's going to, it's going to ruin something that's like a huge part of my sort of like childhood. But thankfully that, that didn't happen. No, we were very fortunate. So I, th- I think that, you know, we could do a retrospective on it now because it was finished. So I, yeah, I think for, I, for that you know i'd love to be asking jason like you know with the pandemic how did that impact him as a filmmaker what could he then go and do how did it impact the film did the film did it's like oh well we've got loads of time let's refine it let's tweak it a little bit more yeah. and really iron out all the kink because that you know we did with the doc there was yeah. many times we tried to give ourselves deadlines we've got to do it for then the 25th coming up the 30th coming up this is going to be happening that's going to be happening it's just the right time and you kind of Partly put that pressure on just so you can try and force yourself over to that finish line. Yeah, yeah. But the the beauty is that we, in the end... Well, who'd have thought when we finished it that there was going to be another... There was going to be a Jason Reitman film coming out around the corner. I mean, talk about, you know, it's just destiny, divine timing, the universe kind of aligning the film when it was meant to be released. Yeah. It feels a bit like that, really. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll see. I will keep my fingers crossed on that one. That'll be the one that I, I keep hoping will happen. If you could give advice to anybody who wanted to go into what to your line of work, what would it be? <laughs> Don't give up the day job. <laughs> uh, I asked Mark Steenson, who uh, is a writer on a film that's come out recently called Jacob's Wife, a horror film. I said, what oh, advice yeah. would you give to a writer? And he said, Don't do it. <laughs> I think everyone's like, no, 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 no. Whatever you do, my advice is that if you're going to do something, mm-hmm. be passionate about it yeah. uh, and give it your all. Because if you're not going to, you, you line yourself up for disappointment. 
and and we work with a lot of different people at, at varying times. I said, well, we're going to give it a year. It's just it's like, OK, there are those that I'm sure have said that and they've gone on to do great things. But I, I've, I've yet to meet any of those people if you're not that committed, because this is a, a huge commitment. And, it's, yeah. you know, I work with all kinds and, you know, some are quite happy. You know, I do corporate work as well. And I can't say that I, I love doing that kind of stuff because I don't really. It's it's it, it's great. It can be fun, but it isn't the same as, as this. Not not by a long shot. And and you can get kind of caught up in that kind of trap. It's like, you now when I gave up, I gave up a, a good job and a good wage and all that kind of stuff to pursue something else. And if I if you end up kind of falling back into that way. But I don't know. It's just, it, I think, yeah, if, if you want to do what the kind of thing that we do, it's really what we do is is passion projects yeah it is and and you and, and that is just everything's got to come from that it's like and it could be a film it could be yeah. a short or a doc or whatever or, or retrospective making of you know you just got to kind of give it your all and be prepared to do that and if you think it's sort of like you want to give it one or two years then yeah. really don't you'll waste your time and you'll waste other people's time because you've got to things, be in it for the long run haven't you yeah because these these type of things that yeah. we've done would normally take a huge amount of resources which means a huge amount of money yeah and you know unless as you know people have said to us to be an independent to be an independent filmmaker you need to be independently wealthy yeah and and there is a lot of truth to that and yeah. it's not to say that people who aren't wealthy can't do it because they can yeah but just know well, that it wealthy. won't be that no we're not not, just, not at all <laughs> um it's like we're currently sat in my old bedroom um so you know you can't you can't exchange any of those or no. trade any of those experiences in it's uh yeah that that's also true i mean I, I can only really echo anthony's um what he said you know if you if you're if you're gonna do it then you've just got to be committed from the beginning to the end and never give up and always kind of keep continuing to believe i, I think for most of us that go down this road it, it it isn't it's a calling it, it you know it has to be in your life because without it being in your life there's there's something kind of missing yeah in in you know it is the air that you breathe it's you know those i mean the it's quite addictive really to be honest to be in to, to the experience of things that we've done yeah but and, and the other thing and i really hope that we have always done this is is look after everybody that we've worked with and respect the people that we're interviewing respect the people that we're working with you know Anthony and I are a team Anthony's at the helm of it in the sense that he's the director and I you know when I'm I'm the producer of it however I would like to think that you know we've treated everybody as an equal we've treated them with respect and we value everybody's collaboration and we recognize that we're we're not an island and we wouldn't be here without Derek Osborne, Anthony's are Derek and um, Jamie and and Jamie Jamie and Dave. Yeah, because they've got their Midi D and Jamie. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's what anyway. You know, they're just the the, the sort of core people that worked on the film without Sam Chicarillo, who, you know, lent us locations and supported us in many ways out in the United States. You know, the, the Kickstarters that contributed and give us you know their hard-earned cash to enable us to to help get the it didn't actually get us over the finishing line but at least contribute towards that and the continue you know and everybody that's gone out and bought the film and you know I, I can only really stress that if 
you watch the film, please tell your friends, your family, your colleagues about it. Because if you don't spread the word, the film can't be a success. But I'm, I'm hoping I think it's if anything, I would say I would say to people, you know, treat everybody with respect yeah it is because it doesn't you know it might be easy but it doesn't always happen no and people are very blinkered especially and it is because it you know it does take a lot to do these type of things but i've certainly worked with enough people to to go well what about you know this that and you haven't mentioned and there you do meet some very strange people when you work within media and the film industry you really do and not to say that it's unique to that because we've certainly met a fair few of them when we've done other jobs yeah um i worked at my dad's restaurant for a while and like catering crikey moses that that breeds them um (laughs) but but you do you know you always respect those people that have done stuff and not to say that'll always be reciprocated i hasten to add but it shouldn't mean that you then go yeah. on and, and treat people any differently so but it is it's you know it's it's great you know you have those you know like those dark times and stuff like that but you remember the times when you saw industrial light and magic on george lucas's boardroom and yeah. sort of like hey, look at this let's make another star wars i believe that's my uh, <laughs> Was my words and and you just like you sorry you said that yeah that's all my fault all of it is my fault that's a whole other conversation um but it's you know but it's so it is it's incredible you know to to um, and very privileged to kind of be in those kind of situations yeah but then you realize when you meet some of these people that they are you know for the most part really decent down to earth and very personable and they, they, they wouldn't be able to do their job if they weren't and and that's the reason why these films probably have endured in the way they are because of these people and their personalities yeah. have kind of shone through and you kind of see that and you hopefully learn from it and think well if i want to do that then i know that's that's the kind of person that i would like to be and hopefully am and, and but we'll we'll soon find out yes. in the coming years well i cannot thank you enough the pair of you for taking oh, the time thank to speak you. throughout this it has been it has been entertaining and it's also been educational for for me and the (laughs) listeners so it's been really enjoyable so uh what i always end with is i think we've been talking of celluloid cod's wallop so i will say a big thank you to you anthony and to you claire and just thank you so much and we wish you all the best for the future Thank you very much. Thank you for having us and thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for your time. Absolutely.